Hello and welcome to Real-Time Strategy, a bi-weekly podcast looking at the gaming industry through the lens of public relations. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Mosher, joined by Triple Point Partner and first-time Real-Time Strategy guest, Quinn Wageman. How are you doing? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course, we're happy to have you. And today we're very excited to welcome Lucas Egan, social media manager at the Las Vegas Review Journal and host of Land Parties, a video gaming and esports podcast. Lucas, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm excited to be here and thanks for the invite. Yeah, Live we're very Vegas, happy baby. to be. Yeah, two two <laughs> Vegas representatives today. <laughs> So yeah, Lucas, uh, I mean, with both of you being new to the podcast, let's do a little introductions. Uh, starting with Lucas, what are you playing right now? Yeah, so my time split between two games, uh, both on the opposite ends of the spectrum for comfort for me. I'm playing a lot of Pokemon Legends, loving that game. It's probably my favorite series of all time, uh, favorite franchise from all time. So, you know, this series needed that fresh step, and I am so glad it's here. It is like just as good as I hoped it was going to be, and I'll be just playing it for hours and hours and hours. That's like my go-to comfort game from now on, I think, for 2022. <laughs> on the other side, I'm playing Sifu, which is slow going because I am just bad at it, and it is brutal. I, I love the game. When it works, when you master a sequence down, you feel so cool, but my goodness is that game tough, and... <laughs> Luckily, my girlfriend's pretty good at it, so she uh, comes in with the assist to help me through some parts. Uh, yeah, Sifu's a rage game for me. I have to, like, stop and take breaks. I'm not going to lie. I, <laughs> I'll get through it eventually, I hope. It's, like, my mission now. But but those, that's what I've been doing. Yeah. It sounds like you have the perfect balance of, like, I feel like it's good to have that kind of zen game in, like, Pokemon Legends right now. And then if you're looking for a bit more of a challenge, you got Sifu to go to. Exactly. Yeah. No, she's definitely had to tell me, you know, take a break, <laughs> Lucas, breathe, <laughs> breathe. I was like, ah. <laughs> what about you, Quinn? What are you playing these days? Oh, man. Well, you know, as, as you know, I scored the PS5 just before the holidays. Uh, so uh, I redownloaded Tsushima to it and I've Ooh. been playing nothing but ever since. I'm on the third island uh, as a completionist. I'm probably going to hit 100 percent i'm after the trophy and uh just really enjoying it so far but i'll say i'm playing it on easy mode i don't care haters gonna hate uh i think the multi <laughs> mode is great so that i can enjoy the story and I'm, I'm at a point in my life where i can't have all that stress after a long work day in a game so i'm just enjoying the story and the beauty of the game and i'm absolutely loving it I had the same thing with Halo Infinite. I had some friends like give me trouble for not playing on Heroic, and I'm just like, I can't, I can't anymore. <laughs> I'll just, just move have... on with that. Yeah, I hate the whole difficulty debate. <laughs> so now, of course, the big getting to know a fellow gamer question. Lucas, what is your favorite game of all time? Okay. I'm going to cheat a little bit here because it's hard By to all choose means. just one. <laughs> but... I, okay, this is probably not a surprise given what I just said. Pokemon Yellow was, like, my first game that, like, I owned myself. Like, it was mine. I didn't have to share it with my siblings or anything. And that just kicked off my lifelong obsession with Pokemon. So I blame that for everything. <laughs> but love that game. It's funny because you think that that game's formula still stands the test of time, strangely. And so it, it's nice. Love that game. Uh, I remember the first Halo. So the first Xbox was my first home console. So Halo Combat Evolved was always, you know, that, like, 
this is what a home system is like. Oh my goodness. Uh, so those two in particular, if, if we're going a little more recent, The Last of Us uh, was that moment where I'm like, games are growing up right before our eyes, and, and my goodness, it's it's every bit as emotional and thrilling as any movie or a book, and like that was the moment where I'm like, yes, yes, it's here. So I'd say those three. Those are great picks. Uh, Last of Us is my favorite game for, you nailed, that's always the exact same spiel I give, so <laughs> I'm glad we have that experience. <laughs> And then Quinn, what about you? What, what do you have a favorite game of all time? I'm also gonna cheat. I can't just name one. Um, <laughs> there's several that just really made a lasting impact for me. Uh, one was Goldeneye, and you'll appreciate mm. this. During my years at Mizzou, I think this was 1999. Uh, there was a Greek Week tournament. Wow! For Goldeneye on the N64, and we set up those machines in the cafeteria of I forget the hall where you know, the Taco Bell, Chick-fil-A and all that stuff was (laughs) literally one morning, uh, on a Saturday, uh, I represented our house and took the tournament and won the championship. I just annihilated everyone. The only guy that would have beat me was another guy in the house, uh, a good buddy of mine. So that made a lasting impression on me and foretold an esports career I didn't pursue, but (laughs) maybe we'll get back to it. Uh, Otherwise, Final Fantasy VII, I mean, that was the game I had. There were probably five, six guys in my room watching me play that. Uh, put in a good hundred hours of it, loved it. And then I'd say, wow, was probably the one I put the most time in. I mean, I probably easily did a thousand plus hours on it in its heyday. And, you know, I used to wake up at four in the morning to hit, hit raids uh, before work <laughs> and all that good stuff. So I'd say th- those three are really memorable to me, but you know, there's, there's so many others that I, that I love. Love it. Good picks for sure. My our uh, dorm room classic game was uh, Smash on the Wii U. There was like one person on the whole floor who had a Wii U, and oh, that eight-player Smash mode just perfect for like getting to know people your freshman year. <laughs> nice. Love it. Well, uh, before we get into the main topics of this show, uh, one quick disclaimer, Triple Point works with many gaming companies that may come up on this episode, including Blizzard, the Pokemon Company, Gearbox, and more. Visit triplepointpr.com for our full client roster. And so with that out of the way, Lucas, we've talked about your favorite games, but let's talk a bit about more about what you do on a day-to-day basis uh, with the Las Vegas Review Journal. How did you, uh, what do you do with them and how did you come to work for them? Yeah, so I started as a, a part-time reporter in January 2019, 18 now, geez, time flies, <laughs> time flies, uh, and I was a part-time cops reporter, so I was working a 4 a.m. shift, uh, just kind of listening to the police scanner and, and all that good stuff. Uh, at the time, I was also working as a wedding and events photographer uh, as kind of a more uh, steady source of income. So balancing the two, a lot of long days, uh, but it was fun. Uh, a lot and of then, great stories, I imagine. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Listening to the scanner yeah. day in, day out. <laughs> That's a whole different episode, but yeah. Yeah, lots uh-huh. of good stories there. Uh Later that year, I got offered a, a full-time role at the Review Journal, and I had been a journalist since I graduated from college in 2011, uh, so I was, I was thrilled to kind of get back into the game a little bit, uh, and since then, I've kind of just been on their digital side, so doing a lot of breaking news online, uh, started to dabble in their social media uh, world, and, and now manage... Uh, their Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram mainly uh, when I'm on. And then uh, also later that year, I kind of pitched the the podcast uh, for LAN parties. And 
met Ryan for the first time. We, had, we actually didn't know each other and uh, had a nice long process of getting that together. And uh, we were able to launch in January 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Well, that's awesome. Congrats on doing the podcast for two years now. That's amazing. So how did that conversation go? I'm curious, approaching a local mainstream news outlet about producing and supporting a gaming podcast. Yeah, you know, luckily the Review Journal has been uh, supportive of, of podcasting, so they have a, a bunch of different shows and series that they had, had already been doing. Uh, so I knew that that was a space they were interested in. And I, I wish I had the secret sauce. Honestly, I was in a meeting with my boss, and he had, he had asked me, you know, what I thought of, of the Review Journal, where I saw things going, and uh, the best and worst thing about me is when I start talking about something I'm passionate about, I tend to rant. And so gaming <laughs> came up, and I was like, look, this industry is huge. You know, this this market is, is ripe for, for us to make our mark. I think podcasting would be great. Uh, kind of went off in that. Didn't actually think you would say yes. Didn't hear anything back for a couple months until uh, he came by with Ryan one day, and he just stopped by my desk and said, I think you two would be good together, and why don't you guys get started? That's what what a cool little matchmaker move he made there, putting the two of you together, because I, I've only listened to more recent episodes of the show. I would have put you two as, like, friends for a long time. <laughs> right, yeah, you know, and, and all credit to Ryan. He's such a fun guy, uh, super nice, super easy to get along with. I, I think that... Uh, I mean, he brings so much energy. It's hard for it not to, to be infectious. And uh, so we have become really good friends along the way, thankfully. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it was it, to, to think that the, that roll of the dice worked out as well as it did for us. That, that could have easily been uh, a lot uh, more difficult than it was. I recall you telling me just uh, how well the podcast is doing in the grand scheme of things for the journal, right? Yeah, yeah. So we, we've seen a lot of uh, slow and steady growth through the years. You know, uh, I'll, I'll say this, the, the silver lining for us is the pandemic really changed how we approach the show uh, and kind of opened our guest book up because, you know, obviously then all of a sudden everybody became willing to do interviews like we are uh, digitally. And so that allowed us to to bring in bigger guests. And, and from there, we just saw uh, our audience just continue to grow as, as we brought in new segments uh, of fans of different people. And, uh, you know, you hate to say that there's, there's a lot of good from the pandemic, but strictly from a podcasting perspective for us, uh, it, it was a, a real Kickstarter for us. That's good. That's good. And, uh, how would you say you guys measure success? I mean, obviously viewer or listenership, uh, data is important, but you know, can you, yeah, yeah. And on top of that, I'd say uh, from an engaged audience standpoint, so we, we have had people, you know, continue to reach out to us on, on a regular basis, you know, give us feedback, uh, both good and bad, what they liked, what they didn't care for. Uh, we, you know, we gauge people's interest on what types of guests they want us to kind of try and book. Uh, so there, there's a, been a good conversation going. Uh, then there's been other things like in December, we won our first award from the Golden Crane Podcast Award for Best Entertainment Podcast. So just stuff like that oh, is nice. Is, Congrats! Thank you. <laughs> always, uh, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> always, always helpful too. But I think it's a mix of of hard metrics plus uh, finding that engaged audience that sticks with you. And uh, I'm sure your boss, in retrospect, like 
it was very impressed by how on the ball you were with talking about how huge gaming is. And it's, you know, in the two years since uh, you started, it just so much has happened and gaming series only become so much bigger through the pandemic that, uh, and I'm glad it's opened up those opportunities for interviews as well. Yeah, for sure. If we only knew what the pandemic would do for gaming, like, like it was big before, but yeah, my goodness, when we were all stuck at home, gaming was, was that thing we, most of us turned to and, and, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So to name just a few of the many awesome interviews you've had on land parties, uh, Cortana voice actress, Jen Taylor, Guardians of the Galaxy composer, Richard Jacks, Deathloop composer, Tom Salta, Halo Infinite multiplayer composer, Alex Bohr. Sorry if I pronounced that last name incorrectly. Uh, so are there any other big ones I'm missing? When I'm sure people listening to this, uh, are some of them are unfamiliar with land parties. Where would you recommend they start with the podcast? Is there a certain episode you go to? Well, uh, considering the timely nature of this again, uh, since <laughs> Uncharted's about to come out, uh, we talked to Nolan North uh, for a good hour and uh i always i always point that as one of my favorites for a couple reasons a it's nolan north <laughs> you know huge fan of his so it was it was nice to just be like oh my goodness uh he was our also our first what i would consider our big name guest uh so that was kind of like the moment where we're like hey we can grab guests you know of of a listeners if you want to call them that i guess for lack of a better way to put it so that was kind of like that turning point where like we can get these caliber of guests and that kind of started getting the ball rolling. Uh, he, and he's just a great storyteller. Like, you just ask a question, be quiet, and just let him go. Because he's so much <laughs> fun to talk to. Uh, yeah, uh, Austin Wintery, who is the composer to the music on Journey, uh, which is another one of the games I would say is one of my favorites, uh, especially for the music. And, and just to kind of get that whole process of, of crafting that. Uh, pretty interesting stories behind that. Um Oh, so many, so oh, many. Oh, I got, I got, I got one for you. That you're missing uh-huh. such a big <laughs> one. Julian Moroda of Norsefeld to talk about tribes in Midgard, which yes. is a fantastic one. And that's actually how we uh, first met. So, I mean, Lucas had been on the radar before, you know, future class, all that stuff, and of course, being at the Review Journal and and uh, came across his podcast and thought it'd be a good fit for Julian. And you guys had a good time on that one. We did, we did. It was super fun, super fun, and and uh, it was great talking about a. Uh, just such a different game, you know, and, and, and uh, getting getting the insights behind that. And the last one I'll just throw out there was Jennifer Hale, just like another huge fan. Got, got to love talking to Femme Chef, and, and <laughs> she's just a super kind person, and yeah, you can't go wrong in talking to her. Awesome. I mean, I, I imagine being in Vegas, you get some access to talent, too. You get a lot of people coming through here, so. Yeah, luckily we're, we're a popular spot. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that actually brings up the next line of questioning I wanted to ask is, you know, I feel like a lot of people, if they were to host a a gaming podcast, there's not really a whole lot of like local angles to take with it. Whereas Mm -hmm. Vegas, that's not exactly the case. How have you found ways to connect the local nature of the review journal to the more, you know, nationwide interest in just games as a whole? Yeah, I mean, from the esports side, Vegas went in big on that. You know, they've got the HyperX uh, esports arena over at the Luxor, uh, which is a, a fantastic venue. So obviously, they host a ton of events there, uh, and casinos are, are starting to kind of embrace that side of things, and, and they're still working on on a lot of angles on it. But 
it's it's you know it's here it's here to stay and and they're going all in on it uh sorry for the vegas pun there <laughs> but i i will say too this is the las vegas review journal just saying the name just lent credibility right off the bat and that made things just so much easier i can't i can't overstate that of, of you know reaching out to a guest and you know i myself might know hey i've got these years of experience but if you can put that name behind it all of a sudden they're more willing to listen to you quicker and from there you it was easier to kind of just build up that list and and we can turn to people and go hey now we have a history of doing this uh with these kinds of guests and and uh so especially early on the name was just just so helpful that's great so now that you've had the ball rolling on just so many notable and great guests have to ask because is there are, are there a few like dream targets up there people you would just love to have on okay there are two that i always think of uh the first is keanu reeves and oh. uh i have been a keanu reeves fan through the years okay everybody else that jumped on the bandwagon with john wick you're late <laughs> to the party <laughs> i was there Go back to bill and ted way <laughs> right back before that right? right i was there from bill and ted speed constantine you guys just were all late speed. so oh my god yes. so he he owes this one to me <laughs> uh, the, the more directly uh related to video games is i would love to get troy baker on uh just a, another one of those guys of uh just an icon of, of the voice acting world. I uh, would love to talk to him. I've slowly been trying to circle him. Like we had all three of his co-hosts on Playwatch listen on to, with the hope of <laughs> I could then just press a little bit <laughs> and get them to say something to him. <laughs> so we'll see mm -hmm. uh, if that works out. Uh, and then Laura Bailey, just another uh, obviously big name in, in the voice acting world. Uh, so those three in particular uh, would would be amazing. Yeah, talk, talking to you about the podcast, and obviously, you know, I listen to many podcasts myself, but kind of digging into the business of it, especially relative to games. You know, mm -hmm. on the PR side of things, we have lots of clients that, you know, for their games, hire really talented voiceover uh, uh, actors, actresses, and you know, uh, traditionally, it's like, oh yeah, we want to get stories written about them. It's like, well, podcasts really are the perfect medium for having voiceover on because you're literally listening to your favorite video game character being interviewed, right? And yeah. that just makes for such an entertaining experience that I don't think the written word can replace. Exactly. And I, I think voice actors more than uh, most roles in, in a video game is, is they're the most trained, you know, in the interview space. Uh, mm. So that since, since they're more used to it, uh, they tend to be a little more open or a little more laid back at first. Uh, so it, it's easier to kind of get into it quickly. Uh, whereas uh, sometimes you get some people more into the hardcore development and you get there, but you got to mm -hmm. earn their trust, you know, make them feel more at ease where I think voice actors are just there already. For sure. Naturals. Well, I was going to say between Jen Taylor and Jennifer Hale and Nolan North, like land parties, I sh like people should start working into the circuit. Like if you're going to have a big voice actor, like got to get them on the podcast. I like that idea. If they're listening <laughs> out there, let's uh, yeah, yeah, get us get us on the list. <laughs> so before we close the loop on talking about land parties, you have done I, I follow you on or I've been looking at your Twitter. <laughs> Sorry, I'm stalking you before the podcast. <laughs> and uh seeing that you've done a lot of great talks about podcasting and your advice to people looking to start their own. Uh what is your go-to pieces of advice for people looking to start their own show? Yeah, uh, I always tell people, be inspired by the shows that you love, but don't copy them. 
you know, if you try and do a carbon copy, the original show is always going to do it better uh, just because they were there first. Uh, but take bits and pieces of what you like from them, you know, and, and figure out how you can put your own spin and, and really think about what you can add to that conversation with, with whatever the subject matter is. Uh, to that end, you know, always have a, a really strong why. If your why is, I just want to start a podcast, man, there are a lot of peaks and valleys. And once you hit those valleys, I think that's when most people stop is, is if they don't have a, a big enough reason to them to do it. Uh, equipment wise, the best equipment is what you have and, or what you can afford. You know, we all mm -hmm. want the fancy equipment. I am super guilty of that. I am a tech <laughs> <laughs> tech uh, geek and I mm -hmm. always want like the newest, but whatever you have, you know, you can record on your phone if you need to, you know, phones are getting better these days with that. Mm -hmm. So just don't overcomplicate it. This does not need to be an expensive endeavor. There's free editing software out there that you can get into this really cheaply and really easily as you kind of find your way. And I know numbers are important, but don't get caught up in numbers, especially early mm -hmm. on. Focus on getting your voice, crafting your voice. And if you're doing something that's true to you and what you're passionate about, your audience will come. Mm -hmm. And so for the beginner, you mentioned uh, you know, editing. Uh, mm -hmm. software. So uh, can you maybe name an example of editing software, but also, you know, for distribution? Uh, you yeah. Know, what, what are the platforms to look at? Yeah, Audacity is great. That's what I started mm -hmm. on for a long time. Um, and it's good. It's solid. You know, uh, I, I think uh, had we not had work programs that, that were available to me, I'd probably still be using Audacity and, and probably be fine mm -hmm. with it. Um, oh, my gosh, there are so many platforms. The good news is a lot of the po podcast platforms will have uh, help in pushing out to all the, the iTunes, Spotify, uh, all that stuff uh, mm -hmm. baked into their services. And so there's a lot of pros and cons, whether you're going with like Podbean. Uh, <laughs> the list is long. The list is long. So that this is where I would say do your research. Uh, there are goods and bads about all of them. Figure out what best fits to what where you see your show going in an ideal world and uh, just kind of go from there. And one more note on editing, give yourself more time than you think, especially when you start. That's ugh, editing is the work. longest part for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lucas, where can the people listen to land parties? Uh, I mean, not to spoil the answer, but you do a good job of, you know, following the advice of getting the show as many places as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try my best. I try my best. Uh, so you can go to regional.com. We have a podcast page. Uh, we're also on uh, Apple, Spotify, all the all the big ones. Uh, if you follow us on Twitter uh, at Land Parties Pod or at Smitty Two Four Four Seven or at Lucas Egan, we do we try and push it out there too. Uh, and yeah, weekly every Wednesday's when we release. Do you, so just curious programming wise do you like do you already know what this week's episode will be about or do you more do it closer to the day yeah we do so we uh we generally try to record on mondays or tuesdays of that week uh just because since we do talk about gaming news we try and and not do it too far in advance because the news changes all the time and uh, we still are out of date anyway, but this is at least <laughs> <laughs> the least out of date we can be uh and then uh it gives us a consistent schedule to book guests on to say we record in these two days time for editing yes. yep <laughs> <laughs> that precious editing time well lucas you mentioned you're a big fan of tech and that leads naturally into our other big topic today the steam deck 
probably the first big gaming tech release, at least piece of new hardware this year. Uh, Steam says it comes out on February 25th, although it's like a bit more complicated than that. On February 25th, everybody who's paid the small fee for getting your name down on the list will get an email. Uh, from there, you can then make the full purchase and they'll say they'll start uh, shipping them out as early as the 28th, but of course, not everyone will get their reservation email. Uh, so the Steam Deck, as with all things these days, will be more of a trickle release over the course of the year. Uh, Quinn, Lucas, have either of you pre-ordered or at least put your name down to get an email for the Steam Deck? I have not. And, you know, it sort of reminds me of what Sony finally landed on with their invite system. Uh, yeah. Which I think is a good approach. I mean, you get the you get the invite. You They have X amount of inventory already sort of ready to go. So I, it, it seems like the rollout is definitely more strategic and probably a lot of lessons learned. Yeah, I have not either. Uh, definitely interested, but I, I'm kind of in a wait and see mode here just to, to see what kind of kinks are there that need to be worked out. Yeah, agreed. I I'll say I'm not I'm not a I'm not an innovator. I'm definitely an early adopter. <laughs> um, I'm more of a second. Well, maybe not quite second gen, but you know, there's always software kinks, and especially when you're talking about this, uh, you know, Proton layer uh, operating on top of Linux. You know, with a new handheld device, it'll get there. I think relatively quickly. I think Valve is taking this incredibly seriously as for how it's going to evolve their business model to compete with uh, you know, other subscription-based services like like uh, like uh, Microsoft and, and others. Uh, so I, I I think fairly quickly it's gonna it's it's going to pick up steam and, and work it out and I'll probably pick one up. Whether it's this year or next year though, I don't know. Yeah, it's very exciting because for so long the conversation was I feel it, it died down for a bit, but especially like around like 10 years ago. Or so like the steam machines, like when is steam making the OS super accessible for like a home console point of view, somebody who doesn't necessarily want to deck out their own PC. They want it built from there and they can plug it into the TV. Uh, so it's interesting now, so many years removed from the steam machines, kind of an initiative that uh, has died down by now uh, to see them instead go the handheld route uh with something that's quite beefy uh i know i know it weighs in at over a pound um but i think that's what makes it exciting and different from the switch is that it's it's a serious pc in your hands uh and it's it's really decked out to meet whatever kind of gaming needs you want with the the track pads as well as the traditional controller layout um, what do you all think of the design and look of the console? Do you think it's something that will change majorly with iterations and maybe that's something you're waiting for? Or do you think this is something that we can expect from the Steam Deck, uh, you know, version 2.0? I think the design is, is part of the reason why I'm in uh, a wait and see mode. Uh, just where the, the joysticks are located, I, I feel like... That could be uncomfortable uh, once you add in the weight of the system as well. Uh, I've got smaller hands, so like it, they look a little awkwardly placed from you know almost any other handheld uh, that we've seen before. So I'm kind of interested to see how that will pan out. Um, 
and the weight, right? If, if you want to have an hours long session, uh, you're going to start to feel that a little bit more. And so is that trade off for a bigger screen and a beefier system worth it? Uh, if, if you know, you're not actually going to play it for super long, I don't know. Anyway, we'll see. I, I kind of really am worried about the, the joystick placement more than anything. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, even played on the Switch for a long period of time. I mean, you know, I get a little soreness in the bottom of my pinkies, you know, And uh, but to its benefit, uh, you can detach the controllers, you know, mm -hmm. put the kickstand up and sit back and play it uh, a little bit more comfortably. You know, I got to wonder, uh, you know, the Steam Deck does support Bluetooth. Uh, you could conceivably bring a controller you know, a pro controller like device uh, accessory to to play a little bit more comfortably. I mean, it is an extension of your Steam library, which I think is its most powerful selling point. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's going to be more core, uh, longer term play sessions than uh, I think the Switch is uh, typically intended for, even though we've certainly had our marathon sessions on, on Switch more so than ever. <laughs> uh, but you know, see, you touched on an interesting point, though. Um, you know, obviously, Steam OS has a history, uh, mm -hmm. both with potential set top box. I was pretty excited about it then, but you know, is that just a PC? Was always the question. And so I think you know, Val probably took a step back and said, "Well, what really are we innovating here?" Um, and I think for purposes of this, with a portable device that is more akin to a Switch where people are going and buying second copies of games to play portably. Uh, we don't have to do that anymore. And that's where I see the value prop here. I mean, I own Hades, Risk of Rain 2, and a number of other games, a second copy for my Switch, which I no longer have to do because you know, Steam is my home base. Even though, like I said, I probably play less in front of my PC anymore, being you know, a dad and wanting to get away from the computer screen after a long day. Yeah, that brings up an interesting question about just given the look of it and, you know, being a more higher end handheld is do you do either of you see it as a direct competitor to the Nintendo Switch or do you think it's integration into your Steam library and higher hardware make it something different? Yeah, obviously Nintendo's ace in the hole with always all their franchises that they have. So there's always going to be a spot for them. Uh, the indies is where I think things are going to get interesting. Because like Quinn just mentioned, you know, if you don't have to buy a second copy to, to play portably, uh, I don't think people will. I am interested, though, because, you know, similar to when Sony made, uh, especially PS Vita, it was pitched as the higher-end handheld. You know, the handheld that brings home console on the go and it never caught on right you looked at like the 3ds which was the underpowered system that relied just on a nintendo system and and the ps vita just struggled right till sony just kind of slowly let it die and paid for oh, everyone rabble, rabble 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 <laughs> people are gonna be hitting your twitter feed man How dare you? Oh, and, it's a beautiful uh, device but it, it was certainly its own category almost right uh, right yeah. so i am a little curious <laughs> and Nintendo. Uh, it, it seems like that higher end handheld has been tough for people to crack and you know i i there's always the wonder if you're a, a more uh core pc gamer uh do you want a lot of that on the go like i i honestly don't know like i you would assume the answer is yes but that didn't exactly translate with uh playstation's handheld so i don't know what the disconnect was there as opposed to now obviously the steam library is going to be a big thing but uh we'll see we'll see you know the switch has such a big base that for a while uh i don't think it's 
right to say that they're in competition with each other because the Switch just has the head start. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I think it depends on if if the Steam Deck can catch on those first few months. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. I mean, as we know, Nintendo maintains a very creative approach to gaming and gaming hardware, right? And you can't underestimate its IP. We're always going to be buying Nintendo devices because we need Mario and Zelda. And we're never going to see those <laughs> elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, I, I think when it comes to this, the Steam Deck itself, uh, I do think it's going to make a dent. Uh, if it's going to be in terms of just a cut of the software distribution on Switch. Like I said, um, I wouldn't have bought a second copy of many of these games uh, where I you know, have home base on Steam. And so uh, that with the portability of it, uh, I would certainly take it and play it on a Steam Deck versus a Switch. Granted, I mm -hmm. need to buy a sweet Steam Deck first. <laughs> um, but also it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, we have God of War on a portable device now. That's not on Switch, not coming to Switch, or at least that we know of. And so, you know, how many of these games that have controller support when they launch to PC first and they've yet to hit console, how many of them, even if they're not verified or even dubbed playable, to what extent are we going to be able to experience these games on that portable device? And I think that's going to be interesting. And uh, as, you know, with every single Steam Deck sale, is going to be a uh, reason for developers to support it, uh, hopefully without too much additional engineering. And um, with that verified and playable badge, it's gonna create new marketing and publicity channels for, for developers. Yeah, you all make a good point because my gut answer to the, is this a Nintendo Switch competitor uh, is no, because I, I like you said, like Nintendo just occupies its own space because it has Mario and Zelda, like, and, uh, it's never going to have God of War or like be able to play a high-end first-person shooter um, in a way that, Lucas, you make a good point about this occupying the high-end handheld space that we haven't seen since really the Vita, you know, may its, you know, beautiful form rest in peace uh, in a few years. Um, Quinn, you mentioned kind of the, so the four layers of game verification on the Steam Deck. There's verified, uh, and I'm going to read from the official Steam Deck website about what these things mean. So the game's verified. It means it works great on the Steam Deck right out of the box. Steam has approved it. Uh, there's playable, which means it may require some manual tweaking by the user to play. There are games that are unsupported, which means they're not functional on the Steam Deck. The example they give is Half-Life Alex, which is a VR game. So obviously that makes sense. Uh, and then unknown. So games that have not been checked for compatibility. And obviously given the tens of thousands of games on Steam, there'll be quite a few that are unknown just by the nature of being able to verify. Um, this headline comes from Polygon just earlier this week. A Steam Deck nears 300 verified games as testing gathers pace. So a couple verified games include, uh, you know, things on the super high end like God of War, Sekiro, Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, some more indie things like Stardew Valley and Return of the Oberdin. Uh, and then interestingly, on like the unsupported list includes Halo, the Master Chief Collection, Fall Guys, Persona 4 Golden, uh, and then playable, there's like Witcher 3, Inscription, Valheim. So in some ways, I don't think it's going to necessarily be predictable on like, I would have guessed Persona 4 Golden would be verified, but it's not for some reason. I'll tell you what's going on. They're sending devices out to devs and publishers to try it out themselves, to excite them. Now, Steam, is, Steam isn't going to go through the, they're not in the business of QA testing all this stuff. 
right? They provide the platform for distribution. It's up to the devs and the publishers to do it. Now, it's going to take a bit to get all those devices in all those developer hands to excite them for the potential of it and to get them to want to invest money and resources into supporting it, QA testing it, making it either playable or I think ideally uh, verified, right? Uh, but yeah, you got to sell devices to convince them mm -hmm. that there's some sort of a return on this. It's got to make business sense at the end of the day, unless you do get enough people sort of just excited about it. And I think that's what we're seeing materialize with this initial set of 300 games. I, I will say a big one missing is uh, Epic said that Fortnite is not going to be supported just because of the uh, worries about uh, the anti-cheating software mm. and uh that's a big that's a big miss like that that is a, a giant miss uh to to not have that one just because obviously as, as popular as fortnite continues to be uh that that's one i think they got to figure out yeah that's a great point something i'm very fascinated to see as these start to land in the wild because it is running uh linux like what i'm sure i cannot wait to dig deep into like the youtube like rabbit hole of what people are going to do with this console in terms of like you know running windows and installing emulators or the epic game store even like uh i'm sure you know what steam officially supports with this device is only like the beginning of <laughs> what i'm sure the steam deck uh, we will see uh some people do with it yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good point. I mean, it's 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 a PC, right? And you know, as you mentioned, running Epic Game Store, uh, and you know, at, at the end of the day, Epic wants the best for their players, and they want a good, safe environment. That's their number one. Uh, I, I think this will evolve, and uh, you know, the, there may come a time when there's enough units out there in people's hands that it, it makes sense for Epic to potentially support it and maybe engineering it. I don't I don't know technically how difficult that is for the anti cheating. Uh, software support uh that's out of my league but um i have to guess you know it's it's a matter of time units sold adoption uh just mm -hmm. seeing how the industry reacts to it i think it'll be an interesting year for that yeah and i think the uh another interesting battle will be uh how like parents view it as opposed to how gamers view it so as a parent you know if you look at a switch for 299 versus the cheapest uh steam deck at 399 and if they're not big into gaming they might look at the two systems and go hey they both do similar things they're both handhelds they can both you know be hooked up why wouldn't i go with a 299 version of of, of that uh whereas a, a gamer you know i think that the most compelling argument for me is I don't have to pay up for a gaming PC. You know, even if I go for the most expensive option of the Steam Deck, that's a more economical way, especially these days of jumping into uh, the PC gaming world and having a, a beefy enough system to play a lot of these games. And so that, from, to me, is the most compelling. Like, I think if, if I do buy one, I'll, I, it'll be the 650 one, uh, just, just to have the most memory, uh, have the fastest memory, and thank goodness you can add memory because 512 is not nearly <laughs> enough <laughs> if you're going to have more than a couple games, uh, especially any AAA games. So uh, hopefully this, hopefully future iterations have more onboard storage because memory in any system is like the bane of everyone's existence. Yeah, uh, on, on several points there, I, when it comes to parents and I think more mainstream, right? Non-gamer mm -hmm. parents who want to just you know, they want their kid to play Mario Party or, uh, uh, you know, Just Dance or whatever, um, or Pokemon. Uh, Nintendo's always going to be the safe bet. 
and mm-hmm. uh, you know it's it is a it's a safe space where you know there are uh, plenty of uh, controls and safeguards uh, for families to be able to hand their kid a device and not have to worry about racking up you know thousand dollars in microtransactions. Um, I think that could potentially be a problem here, and that's why I don't believe this is a device for mainstream. Um, it, it's not. I think it is going to be an extension of the PC gamer who already has a home base. It doesn't have to be a $2,000, $2,000 PC rig. You know, it could be a basic PC gaming rig that people just love playing games on, and they're already familiar with Steam. They already have a library of games, many of which they haven't even touched yet. Uh, I mean, this, this includes myself. And so can this portable device allow me to um, tap more into that library? I'm already familiar. I can I can take it with me. Um, I, I am curious and I almost kind of doubt it. Will anybody buy this device in place of a PC? I'm not sure they will. Um, is this an entry point for someone into Steam as a new experience? I, I don't know. I mean, um, maybe it could be in the future, but I'm not sure that's that's in the cards, at least for the first couple of years. I, th- I think the if if there was a gamer that would buy this as their first kind of quote unquote PC uh, gaming rig would be uh, I th- I think the having the joysticks is a big thing uh, I think one of the biggest things is you know if I jump to PC gaming I know there's controller support but everyone tells you you got to go mouse and keyboard that's the the pure way of doing it it's intimidating right if you've been used to a controller your whole life uh <laughs> that jump is not easy and it takes time you got to rewire your brain uh and I, I think too is uh sometimes i've had this conversation with ryan you know <clears throat> to think of either buying a, a pre-made rig or to build your own uh, especially now uh, given the times we live in not a cheap endeavor there so is it like your ideal thing to do no but if you can jump in for four hundred dollars uh and have access to to a, a pretty wide uh, array of games uh pc games is that still appealing to you even though it, it's it's not uh, a traditional pc gaming system i think there is a segment of gamers uh especially console gamers that will make that jump uh especially that have gotten used to now as, as uh, the switch being a uh a compelling way to play and so I, I think that there will be some that that use that as an entry point in and uh as they maybe wait till prices comes down to make a, a actual kind of like home station yeah quinn you make a good point about the selling point of the just steam as the as a name brand something that people trust um it goes back to like something I, I remember like hearing from podcasts like before I owned a PS4 is like if you have PS Plus like add those free games that come with PS Plus every month on like on the browser that way when you get your PS4 you have you know depending on how long you've been doing it like maybe like 24 plus like free games just waiting for you in a way that like I haven't really thought about because uh, admittedly I've largely thought of the Steam Deck as uh a PC entry point for people who are scared of building their rig and just want it for the gaming aspect of it. Uh, But it is very attractive to PC owners who don't own a Switch and were looking for something handheld. And by getting it, they don't need to worry about buying games. They already have, knowing a lot of my people with Steam libraries, like 100 plus games just there waiting for them. Yeah, no, this, this really fills a void. I think it's a really smart strategy for... It's a, I mean, for Steam, it is a it's a distribution business, right? And uh, you know, let's look at this from multiple sides. I mean, yeah, the Vita. I think that is sort of a standalone device. I mean, 
developers had to engineer games for it, right? It wasn't mm -hmm. an extension of the PlayStation. It was its own separate thing, as beautiful as it was, which makes things <laughs> much more complex, totally different business for developers to approach. Um, I think with this, uh, no, it doesn't, it's not gonna put Nintendo out of business. I think it will dent their wallet. You're gonna have less games probably being sold a second time on Nintendo for Switch portability purposes, I think. Steam uh, PC gamers are going to be able to take this with them instead. They'll still own a Switch to play Mario and Zelda and all that stuff. But uh, I think this fills that void, but also competitively against other incumbents, including Epic, uh, who is building their own distribution store uh, and uh, Microsoft with its subscri subscriptions game and even Sony with PlayStation and their, uh, uh, their subscription model that they're going to introduce soon. Name of the game is Engagement and Retention. Right. Mm -hmm. We have less time than ever in our days for watching just unlimited amounts of amazing content, whether it's TV, listening to music, whatever it might be. And so how do you create that retention and engagement? This is a really interesting device that sort of fills that void for PC gamers who, when they're away from their PC, because they can't be in front of it 24 hours a day. Well, you know, they're on their mobile phones, maybe playing mobile games. It's not the core games they love but they can take this, not have to lug their laptop around, which is also gonna be limited. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with the joysticks and, um, you know, I think a smaller screen and all that, it's, I think it's an interesting play and one that's gonna help them with retention, engagement. I think developers are gonna uh, flock to it as long as, you know, they can move devices and it launches successfully. So one kind of fun question to end our Steam Deck conversation, if you all were to get one, uh, is there a certain game that you feel is tailor-made for the Steam Deck? Something in your Steam library that maybe you've waited to play, but uh, get your Steam Deck, you feel like, oh, this is the chance. For me, I own Disco Elysium, the final cut. Uh, it's a visual novel uh, with, uh, to my understanding, just a, a, a very uh, impressive amount of like branching narrative paths and free player choice options. Um, and there's just something to me about playing a visual novel, although I know it has a bit more active elements than your traditional visual novel, but at the same time, kind of like Quinn said, I don't really like want to get off work and stay here at my station and continue to like read this detective thing. Whereas I feel if I can kind of curl up in bed with the Steam Deck and play Disco Elysium, it would be perfect. And of course I know Disco Elysium is on the Switch now, but like Quinn said, that's the appeal of the Steam Deck. I wouldn't have to buy it twice. So what about you guys? Is there an answer that comes to mind? I think uh, the the first thing I think of are some of the indie games. Like I'm I'm a big Stardew guy, mm. <laughs> love Stardew Valley. Bought it on my Switch, played it for way too long. Uh, but obviously, you know, being able to take take those games like that, like like a Hades with you, uh, sounds really appealing. But I also like uh, just like the idea of playing like a Witcher would be like just so awesome and, and just kind of jumping into that world when when I've got some time, doing a couple of of, of things jump out of it like i i would love that and and the idea to have a, a system that can handle something like the witcher just just yeah so excited so excited i really hope the master chief collection gets there yeah yeah no, i uh i mean there's titles in my library that uh i would absolutely take with me that I, like i said i bought a second copy already on the switch i mean risk of rain too <laughs> Uh, disclaimer, they're a client of ours. We worked on it, but it's a fantastic game, uh, you know, both uh, with keyboard and mouse, but also with with controls. I prefer playing it with uh, a game controller. So that's something that, you know, I could I find myself easily casually jumping into playing for 30, 45 minutes. Uh, that'd be a fantastic one to play. 
Uh, you know, the other one, I mentioned tries to Midgard earlier. They're noted as playable. Uh, I imagine, um, you know, this in large part because it does play very well with keyboard and, and mouse. Uh, and so, you know, I haven't played that as much with controllers, but I know people that do. We have team members that played that on the PlayStation and preferred it. So um, I think that that could be a fun one to play and just one I haven't been able to dig into as much uh, just from wanting to get away from my PC screen. Uh, and yeah, the indies that you mentioned, I mean, Dead Cells is in my library. Oh, I didn't purchase yeah. that a second time on the Switch. I would take this with me. Deep Rock Galactic um, is another fun one. Uh, I think shooters like that, uh, especially when you got some good online co-op, uh, will be <laughs> great for something like this where I go just kick back on the couch. I play on this, especially in my house. My kids have the TV, so I don't often get it. That's why I... <laughs> Play Tsushima for like an hour or two in the morning, early in the morning before they wake up on the weekends. <laughs> um, so any opportunity to just take my PC with me and uh, to the living room, chill on the couch, and, and not even have to worry about the TV and such is, uh, I think, going to be an overall win. Well, great. Uh, Lucas Quinn, any closing thoughts on the Steam Deck? I hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the rollout is is relatively quick for the people that pre-ordered it and are ready to go. Uh, I hope some of my friends get it f quickly because I want to <laughs> get my hands on it too and just see. So I'm I'm really cheering for them to get it. <laughs> oh, and one more shout out to our friends at Raw Fury. But I've seen this coming up on lists. Is like when I buy this, I haven't picked up Sable. Because, like mm. I said, I've got so I've I basically stopped buying on Steam for now because <laughs> I am sucked into Tsushima. But um, I just I need to catch up. But I I would I would buy Sable. I think Sable would probably be the game that I would buy when I get the Steam Deck uh, for it. Uh, it seems to play really well. I've seen a few uh, uh, outlets uh, round that up uh, as, as as ones that they were looking at as well. Um, and ultimately, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I hope it does well. I think this will fill a uh, an area of, of need uh, for the PC gamers and those that are married to the PC now with Steam because that's, that's where their library and their, their, their social is and, and all that stuff. And I think this will be a nice extension of it and will create new opportunities for devs. And frankly for us, uh, you know, we're already looking at some existing clients saying who's verified, who's not, and using that as a messaging point uh, because, I mean, you're fighting what, the 300 other games and not just tens of thousands that are on uh, the larger marketplace. So I think now's the time. Uh, I think it'd be worth devs looking at it, investing in it and supporting it. And overall, I think it'll be good for all of us gamers too. Yeah, I'm hoping to maybe one day where it's a pretty normal future for, you know, your game ends and then at the bottom next to your PlayStation, uh, Steam, Nintendo logo is a little Steam Deck verified logo. Um, I think that'd be a cool future if this if this takes off. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, an opportunity to play the backlog. I haven't been able to touch forever. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to help us manage the backlog is always appreciated. Well, uh, this is all the time we have for real-time strategy this week. Lucas, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, please, again, promote your podcast and anything else you'd like people to check out. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, I'd love to come back on whenever you guys uh, want to invite me. I'm, I'm game for it. Uh, you can catch me on Land Parties, which comes out every Wednesday on all the major platforms. Uh, you can follow us on social media. Uh, Twitter is my most active on Land, at Land Parties Pod, at Smitty2447, or at Lucas Agan, and uh, keep up with us. Awesome. Thank you, Lucas. Great talking to you again. Thanks, Thank Lucas. you so much. It was a lot of fun. Had a great time.
Thanks, Sam. Yeah, of course. Thank you all for coming on. Uh, you can find Real Time Strategy on Twitter at Real Time Strats. You can email us questions at podcast at triplepointpr.com. And yeah, thank you all so much for listening.